When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Well, as one season ends, another begins. Ah, yes, Spartan Nation. The birds are chirping. Spring training baseball is well underway. And Oberon is back at Bells. Spring is in the air, and around these parts, that means spring football. Welcome into episode 28 of MLive Spartan Confidential Podcast. Brandon Champion, Kyle Austin, and Matt Wenzel with you on Thursday, Izzo 25th, 2021. Uh, as I said, we will get into spring football in a bit, but of course, it is still March. Uh, Kyle, how's that bracket looking? Uh, bracket's looking okay. Um, I need um, Arkansas is kind of my, uh, my, my final four pick that's not the common one. So uh, rooting hard for the Razorbacks. Illinois hurt me, but I feel like that hurt everybody pretty equally. So uh, still, still in it, basically. Yeah, everyone I talked to had Illinois and Gonzaga in the championship game. I, too, lost Illinois. And in my ESPN brackets, which is where four of my pools are, I also took Arkansas to the Final Four. I know I said Purdue on the pod. That didn't work, obviously. But uh, (laughs) I did uh, take Arkansas in four of my five brackets. So I'm right there with you rooting for the Razorbacks. I'm actually in the 95th percentile on ESPN in my bracket. So well, uh, I, I'll let you brag on Old Roberts a little bit because you were you were saying that was a, that was a pick last week and a pretty good one. I wish I would have had the uh, the stones, as I said, to really uh, you know go out there and really support them and just really stand by. And instead, I gave sort of like this half-handed like. Well, just watch them. Just watch them. And, and now they're in the Sweet 16. So I, I said on Twitter, I gave myself half points for that, you know, for, for picking Oral Roberts. But yeah, I was pumped about that one. That was, uh, that was pretty good, I have to say. And that team's dangerous. They can score, like we said. And uh, it, that was a fun game to watch. Um, so yeah. And uh, we also had Ohio come through uh, for us, taking down, taking down Virginia. So that was another one we called. Uh, Matt, is your bracket torn to pieces? or uh... You know, you guys brought it up. I just went to look because I hadn't updated it. I had Illinois winning, so ouch. Um, I now have one. I still have three of my final four. One, two, three, four. Wait, hold on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine of the Sweet Sixteen, so not bad. But, eh, eh. Well, it's it's been a wild tournament so far. I mean, we've had a lot of upsets. Uh, we got a 15 seed. We got Oregon State, who is arguably the most uh, irrelevant power program <laughs> in the country, is in the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, it's been a crazy wild tournament to to cap off a crazy wild year. Uh, as I said, we'll get to um, the Michigan State football stuff in a little bit here. Uh, we'll also That'll sort of give us our first real look at the 2021 version of the football team. 
uh, as spring practice is now underway. We've also got some listener questions. Um, but before we get there, we want to put a bow on the basketball season, so we'll do that here shortly. If you could like, rate, and review this podcast wherever you're listening, uh, please tell a fellow Spartan about it. Hit us up on Twitter with your questions or email. Um, and please check out our work at mlive.com slash Spartans. Both these guys have been putting up stories uh, left and right. And as we head into the offseason for, for basketball and move into spring season for football, which we didn't have last year, so it's exciting. But uh, we'll get to Mel Tucker and the football team in a second. We want to wrap up the basketball season and, and sort of uh, tee you up for what is sure to be an extremely interesting offseason. Uh, as you surely know by now, the Spartans suffered a disappointing loss to the now sweet 16-bound UCLA Bruins last Thursday. Uh, the game's a week old, so I don't know if we need to discuss it too much, but, but Kyle, what, what were your takeaways from that game and, and really this season as a whole? Uh, I think my biggest takeaway is that the game kind of was the season as a whole um, and, and just that they looked really good for a while. Like I thought that first half uh, was as good of a half, especially offensively as they've played all year. Um, and it kind of gave you hope like, Oh, Hey, look, you know, Rocket Watts is scoring Malik Hall scoring, uh, you know, they, they were deep they were hitting shots. They were moving the ball. Um, and it's like, oh, they're finally putting it together. And then the second half, uh, as I joked, um, a little bit before midnight, they turned back into a pumpkin. And um, we were reminded why they were such a frustrating team because they showed that they could be, they showed that they could be pretty good. And then um, kind of devolved back into, you know, ball getting stuck, um, you know, weren't hitting the difficult shots they were, uh, but also making uh, just some key mistakes, you know, uh, you know, last uh, last 30 seconds left to go. Um, Aaron Henry doesn't pick up the shooter on a, on a missed free throw. Let's him get a put back uh, that, uh, you know, and one ties the game. Um, obviously there was the Gabe Brown thing, you know, with uh, um, uh, at the end of the first half. So, the, so they were, the, they went back to what we thought they were, which is a team that made a lot of mistakes, uh, couldn't make plays down the stretch. Uh, they didn't win a lot of games that were really close in the final couple minutes. And that, that was certainly the case last week. So it was, it was a fitting ending um, for a team that, uh, that I think was pretty frustrating to watch all season. Just missing that clutch factor. I mean, yeah. in overtime, they were thoroughly dominated. Johnny Juzang has turned into like a top five player in the country all of a sudden. But, you know, yet, what did they have, like three air balls in clutch time down the stretch? That, that Aaron Henry shot was so bad, the refs thought it was blocked. <laughs> but no, it was just an awful air ball. Like, I'm not going to hate on Aaron Henry. The guy had an amazing season. He carried this team to the tournament. I'll always remember him for that. Uh, I mean, he had an incredible season. Um, but, but down the stretch, in the clutch, there was, they weren't making plays. They let the game get away. UCLA dominated in overtime. The team looked tense. You mentioned the Gabe Brown thing. Uh, I mean, obviously the national media love to talk about it. Kenny Smith was getting on my nerves that night. I'm glad that Charles Barkley's there to stand up for, for Izzo. And yeah, that's something that probably could have been saved for the locker room. But we saw, you know, a similar interaction with Aaron Henry. The national media liked to blow that up as well. To me, it was a non-story. If you watch Michigan State basketball, you see guys yell at each other a lot. That was a little more... Um, little more of a blow up, a little more animated than you usually see. And of course, Izzo grabbing his jersey as he's running up the tunnel, you know, optics doesn't look great. I was hoping that was going to fire the team up, you know, similar to how it fired Aaron and Henry up a couple years ago against Bradley, hoping Gabe Brown was going to come out and play well in the second half. The team was going to be fired up. 
That obviously wasn't the case because UCLA pretty much ran the second half in overtime for the most part after Michigan State thoroughly outplayed them in the first half. Do you think that incident had any impact on what happened in the second half, or is it just sort of like one of those things where UCLA found something and made adjustments? No, I, I don't think the incident had anything to do with it because I think those things, sort of things happen all the time, and we just mm-hmm. see very few of them. So it's noteworthy when we see them. Uh, but the players, I mean, you, you ask them about it, they're kind of, they kind of struggle. Like, yeah, that happens. Um, yeah. I, I, I did think, though, it, for me, just real quickly on that, it was problematic that he, that he touched him and grabbed him. I, I think you're crossing a line there when you go from yelling at a guy um, to actually making physical contact with him. So I, I do think some of the, some of the discussion is warranted, um, but everything else you said is true about this is what, you know, players know that they're getting into this is who Tommy Zoe is. It's kind of a tired argument in that, in that respect. Uh, but it was a little different for me for that, but yeah, I mean it, it, you know, it was a team that just, I, I was surprised because they looked tired coming down the stretch and they had so much rest. Um, you understood in the last couple of weeks why they, of the season why they finished some games like that uh but that team you know they had played one game in the last i think 10 or 11 days um they, they should have been fresh so to see them really kind of come apart like that um not make the plays you know I, I asked tom at the end of that aaron henry you know what was the play call at the end of regulation because uh, they had a good shot to um uh, to hit a game winner there and it, it was just kind of an ugly play and he, he said it was really just kind of uh aaron put your head down and get into the lane and try to get fouled um, so their which, best play all year, which, Henry Heisel. Which I'm thinking about it like, yeah, like that, that's kind of fitting of this team. Like usually you're drawing up something pretty with a couple of screens and, you know, to free this guy for this. But, you know, with this team, the, you know, the, the season on the line, trying to win an NCAA tournament game, the play call is essentially, all right, put your head down and try to get to the free throw line, um, which I thought was telling. I was hoping that they would go back to the Aaron Henry post-up. We had seen that uh, mm-hmm. a couple minutes before where they – they reverse the ball around the key. They get Aaron Henry down in the post, and then he goes to work down there. I mean, we had seen it work. I think he drew a foul, what, a couple minutes before that play out of a timeout. And I was hoping they would go back to that because it seemed like the highest percentage. But, you know, Tom Izzo knows more than me, whatever. I'm not going to second-guess him too much on that. But, you know, I, I just thought that that might have been a better option. But, yeah, looking at this season as a whole, clearly a very flawed team. And, and it's frustrating for Michigan State fans, I think, because – Talent isn't the issue, right? There's so much talent on this team, but for some reason the parts didn't fit together. And we're so used to seeing Michigan State have a team that that just works so well together. They they have most of the time they're assisting on almost every made field goal. They just run like a well-oiled machine with all these sets. Obviously that comes back to not having a point guard, but you have to look at the staff for the flawed makeup of this team because talent isn't an issue. They just couldn't find really all season – outside of a few games when he just decided to play four guys 30-plus minutes, he could just never fit the puzzle pieces together. And when Tom Izzo can't fit puzzle pieces together, I don't know who would be able to. And to me, that just says that's a flawed makeup of a roster that has talent but just doesn't work together. And that's on the staff. Yeah, it, it's one of the few Michigan State teams that, to me, was less than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually we're talking about the opposite. And – um, you know, I just go back to the point guard for so much. Um, I, I think they made a miscalculation in thinking that Rocket Watts could um, could become, you know, a, a reliable, you know, starting point guard in the Big Ten. Um, and I, I, I don't, I, I thought he could too. Like, I'm not saying that they were, um, there was no evidence that that could happen. 
Um, but that, that just that just really didn't work out. It, mm-hmm. you know, it was not a fit for him. He didn't like it. He clearly wasn't comfortable. Um, maybe the offseason and COVID had something to do with that. But I just think he's just such a natural shooting guard scorer um, that I'll be curious to see. You know, I think we should talk a little bit about going forward here, too. You know, if mm-hmm. they continue to try that, uh, where they go from here with the point guard, because that's where you got to start in cleaning this up. And, and I think if you can get um, – you don't need Cassius Winston there again. You just need somebody who's going to move the ball, make good decisions, um, run the offense, and take care of the ball. Um, you get somebody that can just do all those things, maybe a veteran um, who's been in some games before, I think everything starts to look a lot better. Not that there weren't other issues or other things you need to fix, but I think you address that and you get that going and some other things start to fall into place. Well, yeah, when you have a bunch of talented wings, how do you best use those talented wings? Well, you have someone on the floor who's looking to get everyone involved. That was a huge, huge missing piece this year. And yeah, you want to look forward. We got a question here. Uh, Is the 2021-22 starting point guard currently on the roster? Uh, Well, there are point guards on the roster. Jade Nakins mm-hmm. obviously coming in next year. Um, and we, we had a report yesterday that uh, Michigan State is a finalist for Northeastern point guard Tyson Walker. He was the Colonial Athletic Conference Defensive Player of the Year, also averages almost 18 points a game. Chatter I'm seeing on social media sounds like Michigan State is a real player and has a real shot here with mutual interests on both sides. Obviously, there's other uh, high major programs involved here as well. And the transfer portal is just being flooded with point guards and uh, high-level players from smaller conferences. So do you think next year's point guard is on the current roster, starting point guard? No, I don't. And I actually think that the two most likely starting point guard options are not on the roster right now. Um, but between a transfer um, point guard, as you mentioned, uh, whether it's Tyson Walker or somebody else, um, or you know, if that doesn't happen or it doesn't work out for whatever reason – I think Jade Nakins, um, I know it's easy to kind of look at the new guy and, you know, a freshman and kind of get enamored with that. But, you know, from what I've seen in his tape, I mean, I think he is the pure point guard you're looking for. Um, and I, I think he's got the talent to do it. Uh, certainly would be bumpy to do it as a freshman. But I, I just, with the way this season went at the position, I can't see you trotting out one of those guys again on opening night next year. Uh, not that you're giving up hope on anybody. I, I think A.J. Hogard in particular could definitely still have a good Michigan state career um, even at the point guard position. And, and you're not giving up hope on the other guys too, but um, I, I think you need some, um, some new blood there. And I, I think transfer is probably the most likely, um, and, which is strange to say because he's always not gone that route a lot, but I think, I think the winds there are changing. And I think, um, I think that's, I think they're going to see that's what needs to be done. Uh, but short of that, I think Aikens is a possibility too. Yeah. And based on, you know, people who are, who follow, you know, player movement in college basketball, um, it seems like Michigan state's already been out there fishing for pretty much, uh, uh, probably across the board. I mean, do you get the sense that, I mean, we have another question here, you know, way too early starting five. I mean, if you had to take a guess now, but obviously we're going to have some player movement here. And do you think it's possible that the staff already knows who's going to transfer and who's going to leave? And that's why they're out there in the transfer portal, uh, sort of looking at positions of need and maybe it just hasn't been public. Obviously we got the news about Jack Hoiberg. Yeah. I, I think they know guys that are, um, that are strongly considering it. Um, and um, the thing is like, you always have to be planning. Um, it, it, I think there's this notion that like, 
okay, you wait and a spot opens up and then you go recruit it. You know, you kind of always have, um, uh, you get involved in guys, even if there's not a spot open or it might not become open. So um, I wouldn't take them fishing at certain positions as indications that somebody's definitely leaving there. But I, I certainly think that, you know, they have conversations, they have open conversations about this and, you know, one thing they're going to do after the season is everybody's going to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting where they talk about their future. And, and those conversations will come up then. So, um, yeah, I mean, I do think that they're expecting more. You know, you go back to – we kind of stopped talking about this because the team started winning a whole lot. But, you know, <laughs> right before they went on that run, you know, Tom made his whole auditions comment. <laughs> we did um, a whole pod on it. <laughs> <laughs> we pretty much did because there was not much else happening with this program around then. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, but that did lead you to think that he was expecting it. And it doesn't have to be bad. Um, you know, a, a season where the team underperforms and a lot of players did not have the season that they wanted um, is going to lead some guys to, to looking for a change of scenery. Uh, and, and that's not necessarily bad. I think that can be healthy for both sides. And um, I'll be interested to see what happens with eligibility for next year. Uh, everybody who ended up transferring this past season got eligible uh eventually i think it was december they gave blanket eligibility so if, if they're going to let everybody play next year and not sit out that's going to lead to even more i think i saw the other day there's 800 people already in the transfer portal mm -hmm. um I, I think that number is even going to go up so it, it's crazy and to think that it's not going to affect michigan state i think um i think would be short-sighted this year yeah i was sort of I don't know if you want to call it a shot, but I'm just like every player in America now thinks that they're a high major starter. <laughs> like, I don't right. think all these guys realize that there's not enough room for all of them at major schools. Um, so, you know, yeah, the transfer it's wide open now. Um, but I, there's not enough roster spots for everyone to be at major schools. So right. it's going to be interesting to see how this tracks, but yeah, I think the, the gut instinct from fans for the longest time has been, Oh, if a player's transferring, then they're not happy. It's a bad look for the program. It's a bad thing for, for the player. It's bad for Izzo, but I think that mindset needs to change now that the sort of floodgates have been opened because now you can transfer without penalty and yeah, especially coming off a season, like what we just had, uh, is it really a bad thing if two or three of these guys leave? Because no. clearly the roster makeup wasn't working. So I think these people who are sort of holding on to this uh, outdated notion that transfers are, uh, are always bad need to sort of rethink things and just sort of embrace the chaos that college basketball has basically become free agency. Right. I mean, I mean, take Jack Hoiberg. I know he's not the transfer most people were thinking about, and he's a little bit different situation because he's a walk-on, but he's a kid that put in his four years, um, you know, did his job, ran the scout team. And, you know, I think he's deciding, hey, I can go to a different school and, and play some meaningful minutes and have an actual role on the team and try to win him some games. And I don't think there's any animosity. I don't think there's one answer, ounce of animosity. It's just that makes sense for him to do right now. And mm -hmm. I think if players leave, I, I did not sense for um, for how difficult this season was at times. And it's harder when I'm not in the actual building. But I did not sense that there was strife on this team. There were a lot of guys that were, like, unhappy with um, – I mean, guys frustrated that they weren't playing better. But I didn't think that guys weren't getting along or guys were really mad at coaches or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a guy that, hey, didn't work out. I'm going to go over here and try to play. Um, it's happening uh, – Michigan State fans who just follow Michigan State probably – don't realize how much it's happening everywhere else because mm -hmm. the 
program has gone a ridiculously long time with no attrition or very little attrition. Um, but this is happening everywhere else. And I think it's a matter of time before it starts happening more at Michigan State. And I think that year is going to be this year. I mean, look at programs like Pitt and Penn State and Indiana. I mean, they, they might have completely different rosters next year. Um, I mean, it's just the nature of the beast in today's college basketball. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. What would you set the uh, over under at for uh, players leaving? I was thinking three. Yeah, I have three, and that's counting Aaron Henry. Um, I, I would be pretty surprised if he doesn't go to the NBA. That's not like an inside source thing, but a, a guy who came, I think, very close to leaving last year, comes back, scores 15 a game, I, I, to me, did everything he could for Michigan State this year. So um, if he was really that close to leaving, I, I think a season like that would um, – I'd be pretty surprised if he's back. So I would count him as one, and then you know, two transfers probably seems like the right number. Um, I've seen some people suggesting more. I still don't think this is going to be some like mass exodus because, no. um, um, you know, this is a program, like we said, historically has had low attrition. You've still had a lot of guys here that have stuck it out and been glad they did. Had good senior years, um, had that improvement. So there's going to be guys that want to do that. But at the same time, um, you know, there's there's enough guys that weren't happy with it. And, and like we talked about in the year, like there's a lot of guys that to me are very similar in ability and, and, you know, playing style that are kind of competing for minutes. So um, it's some of those positions, it might make sense for one of them to go somewhere else, maybe where they fit better and, and, and free up some of these log jams um, because that was the issue. A lot of guys, very similar ability, very similar playing style, kind of, kind of competing with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. I mean, obviously not uh, the best season for Michigan State, you know, between COVID and, and losing a lot of games in a tough Big Ten, or at least what we thought was a tough Big Ten. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it's been a rough season for Michigan State. And, uh, you know, but I do give the guys credit on this roster for battling. Uh, toughing out some tough wins and at least extending extending the streak uh, to 23 straight seasons in the NCAA, t- NCAA tournament, although there is a little bit of salt in the wound now that we see UCLA, a team that Michigan State had dead in the water, uh, still alive in the Sweet 16. And uh, – exemplified by the fact that Abilene Christian knocked off Texas. So Michigan State wouldn't have even theoretically had to beat Texas to get to the Sweet 16. So I guess can it's a little salty. Can, can you think of a lot of easier paths for an 11 seed to the Sweet 16 than that one? Not really. Like, no. No. Like I, 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 I tweeted and people got mad at me just because it felt like I was rubbing it in. But like seriously, like that, I would imagine there's a lot of frustration in the Bryson Center this last week. Yeah. Indeed. Well, it was an interesting basketball season nonetheless, Kyle. And uh, uh, good job on the season. I know you'll be on track of uh, everything going on, all the player movement. So, uh, But uh, definitely one of the more interesting seasons, I would bet, that you've had to cover since being on the beat. Yes. Um, I mean, I mean, start with, I mean, obviously COVID, you know, not being in there and everything. But um, the wild swing is what I'll always remember from going from a team that seemed like it was dead in the water um, to, to that, you know, whatever it was, 10 day stretch where they, where they beat all those teams. Like I've never seen a team turn on a dime like that. Um, and, and, you know, I think that'll probably end up being kind of forgotten because the team ended up barely making the tournament, losing its first game. But um, that turnaround uh, is one of the wildest things I've seen. All right, well, let's transition to football, Matt. It, it's finally your time. I've been sending you the Herb Brooks memes and speech. This is your time 
spring football, I guess it's only half your time still, you know, but uh, until we get to the regular season, but spring football is underway. Uh, We've got a new uh, version of the Michigan State football team up and down season a year ago. Uh, You know, obviously a couple big wins scattered in there over Michigan and Northwestern, uh, but, you know, not what you would call a successful season overall. Uh, spring season is, is an interesting time for, for beat reporters. I think I remember when I covered central Michigan, uh, getting involved in the spring season, getting to know the roster, getting to know the coaches was really helpful to sort of your understanding of the team in the fall. So I know you just wrote a story about spring football, but, um, you know, uh, what, what is, uh, update us on the big news and sort of what are, what are you looking for in the spring? Well, um, that would rely on us actually getting to see something. So um, and I can't <laughs> count on that. So, um, you know, have I you ever seen a practice under Mel Tucker yet? Well, no, because I mean, for one, I mean, he didn't get a single spring practice last year. And by the time they were actually working out, there was no way in hell they were going to let any of us through the door. And I understand that completely. You know, they're going through testing and stuff. Um, I mean, even under Mark D'Antonio was not exactly – leaving the doors wide open for you to walk in and and see what you wanted to see. So, um, no, I mean, I I was really hopeful last year when when Mel got hired that some of these things would change. You know, we'd get a little bit more of a look at what they're doing, a little more access. And, and, you know, obviously the pandemic has um, affected that. So, you know, I mean, it's, I I certainly don't expect to be be able to see anything other than uh, the potential spring game. Um, so more of what I was looking for before the season was just roster clarity. And we got that on Tuesday because um, we had, you know, with the potential for seniors to come back for another year, um, that whole thing hadn't been sorted out. Mel had announced some guys would be back and, and was uh, wishy-washy on the others. So there are six seniors coming back, uh, AJR Curry, Matt Allen, Luke Campbell, all three are offensive linemen. Uh, defense men's Jacob Panasuk and Drew Beasley and kicker Matt Coglin. Those are guys that have all started multiple games. Um, and five, four of those, um, Mel had said would be back. Um, our Curry and Campbell are the new ones to, to actually be on the roster. He'd kind of hinted they might be back, um, but didn't say it definitively before. Um, but Matt Dotson, who was, he had said would be back is not back. So, He's one of four scholarship seniors that are not on the roster in 20 for the spring, along with Jordan Reed, Trey Person, and Reese Nelson. Um, Mustafa Khalifa was a redshirt junior. He is not on the roster as well. And there are a handful of, uh, excuse me, walk-ons that are, are not back as well. So, you know, this is kind of part of the continual um, roster overhaul that we Mel pretty much promised back in November and it continues and it basically will continue until fall camp. He, you know, you, you're going to see attrition every spring, pretty much every program. And, you know, Mel said a number of times he expects to continue adding uh, transfers all the way up till, to fall camp. Okay. Well, so what, what are they on, like day three of – today's day three of spring so, practice? Today's the second practice. So they're, they started Tuesday. They're practicing Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays for five weeks. So you get your 15, and that's where you go. Um, Mel said uh, – Practice three or four, they plan on putting on pads. Um, then they'll probably keep them on every every practice, except the probably the one before the spring game. Because, you know, he talked about, you know, just because they got pads on, they're not out there, you know, cracking each other every five, you know, every minute because they don't want to get guys hurt and over overextend them in the spring. 
So, um, I mean, we can go in a lot of different directions here, and we're going to have plenty of time to talk about football and, and sort of, uh, you know, maybe break it down by position when we get closer to the season. I think most people are interested. I mean, obviously, it's a football team. Most people are going to want to talk about the quarterback. Uh, Anthony Russo is uh, in transferring in from Temple. He seems like the favorite in my book. I don't know why you bring in a guy with 30 starts and not give him a strong look to be the starting quarterback. But we saw up and down uh, performances from Peyton Thorne last year who got his feet wet, and then the other guys on the roster haven't really played. How do you uh, sort of um, screenshot uh, – that's not the right word. How do you snapshot the quarterback position going into spring? Well, I think, Thor- I think they like Thorne a lot, but I think, you know, when, when you – <laughs> when your quarterback room has one combined career start um, heading into spring practice, you probably want to back that up with some experience. Hence Russo, who was 16 and 10 as a starter at Temple. He's got a ton of experience. So he gives you that option. I, you know, I, I think it's probably a toss up right now between those two. I would say, you know, where do you go? 45, 45 or something like that. 55, 40 and throw a 5% in there that, you know, somehow Hamp Faye comes in as a true freshman and just wins the job outright, something crazy like that. But no, I think, I think, I think with Thorne, you just, he didn't really get the opportunity, I think, that where you can say that he isn't ready because, you know, he played four games last year, three of them he entered when Michigan State was already getting, you know, they're already down by a significant margin. You know, the one start he had was Penn State and he threw for 325 and three touchdowns, but most of that. <laughs> all three touchdowns in the second quarter and it didn't go so well after that. But um, I don't think you really know exactly what you got with him because he didn't really get that full look um, with Russo. What you, I mean, he's established, you know, you know what you have on tape, how he fits in with what they do offensively. We'll see, but you know, big guy, six, four, two forty or whatever it is. Um, I don't know if I didn't look at his updated weight on the roster um, that MSU just put out, but uh you know, he's thrown for a ton of yards, a bunch of touchdowns, but he's also thrown for a lot of interceptions. So, um, you know, it's, you're not bringing in Peyton Manning circa senior year at Tennessee where, you, you know, where he's a guaranteed starter. So, yeah, I, I mean, I asked Mel about the quarterback thing on, on Tuesday, and, you know, he gave me, you know, the answer that he's been given, you know, basically every time. It's an open competition, and he wants the quarterback to be the, the biggest competitor on the team and, you know, go from there. So, um that's where spring game will come in handy because then we'd actually get a look at it. If we, if there's one and we're allowed in or it's televised, otherwise I honestly, I don't know if you'd expect any sort of definitive word on quarterback um, or maybe even really any starting position until uh, Northwestern in, in September. They better let us into the spring game. That's all I got to say. But uh, uh, Jaden Reed is going to be wearing number one for the first time since Charles Rogers wore number one. I saw that yeah. Mich- Michigan State put out a, a little uh, quote that he gave today. He's like, if you're juiceless, you're useless. They just put that out, which I, which I kind of like. Just wait till that's on a T-shirt. Hopefully Jaden's going to get some royalties for that, but uh, not. Uh, but, uh, what, you know, uh, what, what went into the decision to bring back number one? I mean, to me, that says they're anointing him as their number one receiver. Uh, you know, Mel didn't even talk about it. Um, he wasn't asked about it, and that wasn't really. I don't know. I find the good job. You know, when you're bringing back a when you're bringing back a number for the first time in 20 years, it's interesting. But 
Um, there are other things I'd rather ask about. I think I'm it was sure just the D'Antonio old school mentality, you know, we're like, no one's no, number because, one. And I mean, he hadn't, I mean, Michigan State hadn't used it in, since Rogers in 02. So, you know, that predated true. D'Antonio. And D'Antonio actually talked about bringing it back. It was at 17. He had kicked around the idea, which was also coincided when Hunter Ryzen was coming in. And I think he wanted to wear it. And they did this. It, it was never used, but he had this weird thing. And, like, they never talked about it, really. But he, he they called it the One Award. Like, T-H-E-O-N-E. Not with the numeral one. Where it was, like, their player of the game for a week or something. I don't know. I guess that was their way of bringing it back. Whatever. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Jaden Reed's number one. I, I You know, I don't know. It's I think he definitely, you know, we knew going into last year what his potential was from what he did at Western, and he showed it. And I think, you know, he's capable of big things. Um, so we'll see. Obviously, they think highly of him if they're going to break that up for the first time in almost two decades. We got a question here. Do you think that a potentially high number of summer transfer additions at critical positions like linebacker and cornerback will significantly limit the ability to fully install the 4-2-5 defense with their best personnel? Yeah, that's a good question because you linebacker and cornerback, it's really, I mean, <laughs> they have two linebackers with the defensive experience. They have two scholarship cornerbacks on the roster. And that isn't going to change until, you know, fall, until summer additions, you know, uh, conditioning fall camp. So I don't know. Uh, I guess you, then you're relying on, I think what it, the difference would be who is coming in that you can plug in immediately. So like at linebacker, you know, you have two um, linebacker commits um, in Ben Van Summeren from Michigan who has experience. And now you have Atavian Brown from Minnesota who doesn't. So he's more of the recruit mold, whereas Ben Van Summeren maybe be able to step in and, and play and adapt quicker. I don't know. Depends on your, your just natural talent level and ability to, to interpret it. Same with Ma, now Teote, if I'm pronouncing it right, you know, he's the higher recruit. So if he can step in and do it, sure. And then at cornerback, when you, when you look at the, the guys they got, the three commits they got from the portal, and they have three uh, incoming freshmen. So you, you're talking two scholarship cornerbacks on the roster right now with at least six coming in in the summer. That's kind of crazy. Uh, but Chester Kimbrough, the one from Florida, he's the only transfer who's played. I think you look at him as a guy who can step in as a starter. So, yeah, I mean, but then again, you know, you never know because we talk about the scheme difference, but, you know, we've seen it time and again where these you get these high school fresh come, kids come out of high school, and even if they're not even early enrollees, they can come in in the summer, you know, fall camp, and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're a week one starter type of deal. It's, you know, what happens. So, um, but, it, you know, it is interesting. I think more with the 425, I think it's more of getting the veterans on board right now with installing stuff that you weren't able to do last year because Scotty Hazleton flat out admitted there's going to, without spring practice, without a fall camp, there would be stuff that we just, we won't have time to get to. So now's the chance to do it. Kyle, uh, I don't mean to catch you off guard here, but is there anything you're intrigued to look into for spring? Uh, you know, obviously quarterback, you guys talked about, um, we'd start with, but uh, yeah, I mean, just the number of new faces, um, you know, uh, what are all these guys about? Does he have the right mix, you know, um, of guys, you know, how, how well can you integrate that many new guys into a program that quickly? Like, I think these are all, these are all challenges. Uh, I, I think that, I think it's, you had to upgrade the roster significantly, but I think there are also, it's not as simple as, you know, 
signing a bunch of dudes and then throwing them all out there. Like, I think, I think how quickly you can get these guys up to speed, get them integrated um, and make the, all the pieces kind of fit together. Right. Um, I'm going to be really curious how that happens because I think he's given himself a decent shot to get better just based on the talent. But, but there's a lot more to, to the picture than that. I don't know if Matt would agree, but I think that that's no. one of the biggest challenges. No, I, I agree completely. And he's been asked about that. And, you know, he said, you know, we're not just here collecting players, you know, we're here to build a team and, um, you know, he thinks they're on the cusp, on the verge of, of building something special. But, yeah, to your point, I mean, this is <laughs> – you get 17 transfers out since <laughs> November. You have, what is it, 10 players, 10 other players, I believe, that are not on the roster anymore. I mean, that's – you've got 10 guys that joined the program mid-year. You've got the rest of the 21 class coming in. You've got six commits, six additional transfer commits – yeah, I mean, this team is not gonna is not gonna look like it did, you know, at Penn State on December, whatever twelfth, whatever day that was. And you know, to you know, to be fair, this isn't a surprise. Meld said this back in the fall, or it was probably maybe even technically winter by that point. But he said this team will look a lot different next year, and you know, and that it will. And you know, this is this is this is not a shock. You know, you would have if if it wasn't for COVID you would have seen a lot of this happen a year ago or, you know, almost at this time a year ago, new staff comes in, they have spring practice. They're going to, they would figure out who fits the players would figure out if they fit or not. And you would have had, a, you would have had turnover, a, a significant amount of turnover last spring during spring practice or coming out to, in, into the summer. And there was nobody because they didn't have a, they didn't have a single damn practice. So who, nobody knew where they stood. Mm-hmm. I mean, you watch as many zoom calls as you want and look at the offense. You don't know where you fit because they don't know where you fit. So um, yeah, I mean, this is just, this is like a one year delay uh, on what would have started. Well, at least they're actually getting spring practices in a spring game, uh, uh, apparently this year. Um, you know, that, that was obviously something Mel didn't get. You know, they put out that like six minute video of Mel Tucker and he's talking about how it's completely different this year. He's really looking forward to getting recruits on campus because they're not going to want to leave, according to him. And, uh, you know, and he's got a point. I mean, it's tough to recruit when you can't even show recruits your facilities and get them into campus and they can sort of envision life, what it might be like in East Lansing. But let's get to uh, sort of the last thing I want to touch on here today. We'll have lots of time to break down the roster and stuff. Um, but obviously, from a fan standpoint, we didn't get to go in Spartan Stadium at all last year. Uh, the spring game is scheduled for April 24th. Mel had said he hopes to have a regular game with fans, which has traditionally been free for fans to come to during the years. But uh, uh, what do you um, – What's the word on fans? I know the Big Ten opened the door uh, for local jurisdictions to allow fans. They they sort of got rid of their conference-wide policy, barring fans. Um, and it's up to basically Michigan and the powers that be in Michigan. I think currently outdoor stadiums can have 20,000 or 20% fans. So um, how would you handicap it? Do you think there's going to be a spring game that's open to the public? I'll be selfish and say my first priority is I just want to be able to be there. And, um, you know, <laughs> sure, you guys are give all us on the your, media you guys, elite line. Guys, Thanks a lot. Well, I'm sorry. I've got to, I have, I have to write about things. So no, this isn't media elite thing. Um, <laughs> I'm selfish. kidding. I'm no, just... no, I really do. I really do. You know, I hope that they're able to have a public spring game, you know, and do it in a safe manner. Uh, are you going to get, 50,000 fans there? Could you, what was that? Was it the 16 Depart- spring game, Kyle? 
Yeah. They oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> after the Rose Bowl, right? Yeah. The Antonio was the drive for 50,000 that fell a little bit short there. Yeah. Well, I think they announced it at like 50,000 or something. It was not 50,000. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah I, <laughs> it's all about the, generating the, excitement, guys. Come on. Announced, announced attendance figures are funny. Um, but no, I mean, I, I, you know, I hope there's some way to do it. And really, if you, if you look at the recent spring game crowds, the number of people that are there, and, you know, who knows what the weather will be. I think you could – I would hope that there's some way you can plan this out. Um, with You know, you've got almost a month now to do this, to, to work on a system too. If you can accommodate, you know, say 10,000 people, uh, which would be under the, the 20% limit, obviously, if you can go up to 15 or, or whatever. 15,200 uh, would be 20% yeah. of 76,000. Yeah. And so. I don't even know. I don't even know if you'd get 15,000. I don't even know if they'd want 15,000 or be comfortable with that. Um, I mean, Michigan, for example, just, I don't think they're doing a spring game or they're doing like a, just a practice with no fans, uh, but they've been, they've been not trending that way. You know, I only spring that up because that's, you know, the example we have in state. Um, you know, you see other programs are doing open spring games. So, you know, handicap, but I don't know, 50-50, there'll be fans. So. I, I, I'd say less. Um, yeah. That, that's pessimistic, but I just, I go based on the evidence we have from basketball, which is that, to me, Michigan State University was more cautious than the state of Michigan was. Um, there were times when um, the state would have let them have more fans in there and then they limited it more than that they were more cautious than the big 10 was so um if numbers keep keep going the way they are i think and this will go above bill beekman will go above mel tucker and everything i think yeah. the university administration um is going to limit it that's my guess but things could change between yeah. now and a month from now you're probably right i mean especially I, I think families with, will get in there no um yeah yeah I, I, I mean, you know, I'm not really thinking about the cases going up and the hospitalizations going up right now with the variants. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and look, the university president sort of knows a thing or two about this stuff. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, 50-50 is probably a little optimistic, but, you know, I hope there's some way they can get some people in there. Me too. Me too. I miss Spartan Stadium, man. I miss being in there. I miss seeing Zeke. I miss Sparty. I miss the helmet shuffle. I miss it all, man. Not being able to watch football in person last year really, really stunk. And I am the now proud owner of Michigan State football season tickets. Uh, I told Matt I was going to wear a pumpkin costume every game and try and get him to spot me. He said he was too cool for that. So uh, that's not going to happen. But uh, I really want to see it, man. I miss that place a lot. You could uh, you could offer to go mow the lawn. Maybe they'll let you go mow the lawn for me. <laughs> oh, great. That's the only way I can get in. I'm, I will mow the lawn <laughs> if they'll let me in. I, I will. I'll, I'll wipe down seats. I'll do anything. <laughs> Whatever they want me to do. I'll, as long as I can be in the building, I'm good with it. But uh that's going to do it for today's episode of the Spartan Confidential Podcast. Obviously, we'll be more in a football mode as we move forward here, but um, we expect to get some news trickling in about uh, basketball, and it could come as soon as, as uh, this week if Tyson Walker decides to commit to Michigan State. That will be big news um, for, for the whole, for the whole uh, program and its fans. So it's going to be interesting to watch. Matt will stay on top of the spring football stuff. Hopefully he can uh, get a little more uh, insight from Mel than he's offered up so far so we have more stuff to talk about. But we appreciate everyone for listening. Right now the spring game is scheduled for April 24th. We'll keep you updated if fans will be allowed. But until next time, thanks for listening, and go Green!